But if you guys could welcome Philip as he comes this morning. After a little season, do I need to turn this one off? You've turned it off. Good. <clears throat> After a little season, um, you begin to find out that the Christian life is actually quite hard because it requires discipline. And you've got to exercise all of these disciplines. And you've got to show up for meetings. And you've got to be obedient to somebody else's law and not your own law. And, and so we find that even Christians start to drop out of the game. I hope that doesn't offend anybody, the idea of me describing the Christian life as a game. Uh, you know, if you find that offensive, then you're too religious, so get over that too. But what I'm trying to say here is there's something going on that I've observed in recent times that bothers me. And it shouldn't be like this. Do you know that right at this moment, uh, the church around the world is experiencing explosive growth? It really is. In fact, it's growing at the fastest rate it has ever grown in all of history. Some sources say that it is growing faster than the world's population rate. It is exploding. You know, China is still exploding. Uh, the growth of Christianity in China is just mind-boggling. Uh, the same thing is happening in other parts of Asia. Russia is coming alive. Eastern Europe is coming alive. Uh, South America is just exploding. Africa you can hardly get your head around what's happening in Africa. Uh, a lot of sources say if Christianity continues to grow at the rate it is at the moment in Africa, every single living person in Africa will be a Christian by 2030. There is just this explosive growth taking place. But we're not seeing that in the West. In our Western countries, it would appear on the surface of things that Christianity is struggling and in fact that people are dropping out of the game. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately because in actual fact it's a lot harder to be a Christian in these third world countries than it is in our countries. I don't think anybody would argue that. To be a Christian in Russia or, or China or India, in India today, today in India at least 50 Christians will be killed, at least 50. The persecution of Christians in India is, is just growing uh, quite significantly as uh, time passes. And there's trouble for Christians in certain parts of Africa, especially around Islamic countries. Um, it's hard to be a Christian in these third world countries and yet they're staying in the game. And so I've been asking myself the question, why are they continuing the race? Why aren't they dropping out? Um, what's the difference between them and us? And that's what I want to talk to you about today because I think I've discovered something that uh, is uh, going to be very liberating and very encouraging for you. <coughs> In Acts chapter 13, there's a picture of Paul and Barnabas being formally inducted into Christian service. It says in verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now I hope you notice 
what the Bible says there because a lot of people don't notice it. It doesn't say set them apart for the walk in the park that I've called them to. It doesn't say uh, set them apart for a time of smelling the roses that I've called them to. Now it says set them apart for the work that I've called them to. So I thought I'd better have a look in the dictionary to see what work means. And I discovered that work means work. It's exactly what it means. It means work. Now, serving God is definitely the hardest work of all. Uh, Pastor Scott and I were talking to Pastor Doug just through the week, and he said something that was a real revelation to him, I think. He said, I have discovered that pastoring is the hardest work I have ever done. Well, he's totally right. It's the hardest job on the earth. But just being a Christian in today's environment is the hardest work of all. It really is because we're opposed from every side. We know that. The media opposes us. Um, The educationists oppose us. Everybody opposes us. And there is this, this sense of being overwhelmed by the opposition that's around us. It's hard work. And to be a Christian today, it uh, demands your time, it demands your energy, it demands your emotional energy, physical energy, spiritual energy, Uh, it demands a disciplined life, and all of this while people are opposing you. It's hard to be a Christian. It's not easy. Now, somebody's saying probably be, uh, probably about now, well, that reference to Barnabas and Saul really is a reference to them going out into vocational church work, you know, like paid church work, like pastors. That's really for pastors. Uh, they're the ones who are going to do the work. No, <laughs> that's not right because every Christian is called to serve God. We're all in the ministry. We all serve God in this great game of life. Paul says in Corinthians that, we all have the ministry of reconciliation. It says that, doesn't it? Peter says uh, in one of his letters that we are all part of a royal priesthood. We're all in the ministry. Every one of us sitting in this room is in the ministry. So what I'm talking about has got equal op- uh, uh, application to everybody this morning. There's something here for everybody in what I'm saying right now that will help you. So don't think this is just something for those who are involved in vocational Christian work. It's for every Christian. And if you get what I'm saying this morning, it will help you to not become a Christian dropout. So as we get started, what I want you to do is look at the person sitting on your left, then look at the person on your right. I want you, and I don't want anybody to say anything, all right? But do, do they look tired? Do they look like they need a rest? Who looks all wrung out? Who's saying to himself, forget about the person on my right, my left. I need a rest. Because that's how a lot of us feel. Well, I want to tell you about a wonderful provision that God has made available for Christians. And it's called God's rest. Or the Sabbath rest. And it's one of those provisions, it's one of those sections of scripture that I think we read through and we don't really kind of connect with it. We don't quite understand what it's all about. Well, 
you know, if we understand this today, it'll keep you in the game. That's a promise. And so I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And if you've got a Bible, you might like to turn to it because I'm going to refer back to it quite a few times uh, through the morning. But if you haven't got a Bible, that's fine because it'll be on the screens. You know, Christians are busy people. And it seems to me that there's a bit of a competition going, around, going on because sometimes I get the impression that everybody's trying to kind of prove that they're more busy than the next person. You know, they're busy little Christians running around doing all these busy little things. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm serving the Lord. And I just look at that and I, I just wonder about it. And I think, what on earth is all that about? You know, I've got to fulfill God's will. I've got to serve God. I've got to pour out my life for God. And they looked so desperately miserable and unhappy and tired. You know, the very people that we're trying to influence for Christ look at us and say, well, if that's what's going to happen to me if I'm a Christian, I don't want any of that. And can you blame them? It's not a good look. Well, guess what? We should be busy and we should be doing all of these things. But here's the thing, you can actually rest while you work. God has <coughs> made a provision for us where we can rest while we work. Think about that. It's a, it's a strange kind of concept, isn't it? We can rest while we work. It sounds a little bit like God wants us all to become city workers, doesn't it? You know those people you see on the side of the road, men at work, and you drive by and everybody's leaning on a shovel? They're resting while they work. I know, I've just made enemies of every city worker in the world. I repent. I'm sorry. A little bit. But you can do all the things that God wants you to do and still be emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, physically healthy not exhausted, and not thinking about dropping out of the game. And it's because of this incredible provision that God has made for us called God's rest or the Sabbath rest. I wonder what your definition of rest is. Now, the dictionary defines rest like this, no surprises, refreshing inactivity after exertion. That's what rest is, fair enough. I wonder what kind of image that conjures up in your mind. What do you think of? when you think of rest, when you think of refreshing inactivity after exertion, maybe lazing away the hours on a tropical island somewhere, tropical lagoon, lying on a white sand beach with the shade of coconut trees protecting you from the sun while watching it sink slowly in the west between your toes while drinking an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola. <laughs> well, guess what? You can have an experience like that if you want to pay a few thousand dollars for it. In fact, Mandy and I paid a few thousand dollars for a cruise through the South Pacific just a few months ago, and it was all like that. But it didn't last. See, this is the thing. That's man's rest. And man's rest doesn't last. Because as soon as you get back from 
that kind of experience, what happens? You feel just as tired as you were before you started. And a few thousand bucks has gone down the drain. Just doesn't last. Let's read then these verses out of uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and they will be on your screens. Bit hard with one hand, but I'll get there. It says in Hebrews 4, reading from verse 1 through 11, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Interesting statement. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now, we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again said a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Now, that's quite a mouthful, but we're going to sort of tease that out and uh, I think we'll all get our heads around it as we um, continue. But take good notice of verse 11. It says, following their example. Just that short phrase, following their example. So the question is, whose example? Whose example? Well, the answer is obvious, it's there. We just read it, the example of Israel. Why does God say this? Why does the writer to the Hebrews say this? Why does he say following their example, following Israel's example? Um, I guess you would have some understanding of typology, but if you don't, just a quick explanation. You know, Israel uh, we think of as a nation, but you know, in God's design and God's purposes, That was never really his intent. Israel was always to be a people. Israel means a people. It means a called out people. Um, And this is really an explanation of the church. And so everything we read in the Old Testament about Israel and its battles, its struggles, the sorts of things that Judy uh, explained to us during worship, they're there so that we have a basic understanding of what the church looks like. 
And so when uh, the writer says uh, following their example, following the example of Israel, he's talking about following the example of this people who God called out of Egypt, out of a world system, out of a, uh, a system where they were oppressed, uh, persecuted, and uh, taken into a promised land, into a land of freedom. He's talking about that sort of thing. That's a brief explanation. Now, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, do not follow the example of Israel. Don't follow their example. Don't follow the example of this people who didn't go into the promised land and who never entered God's rest. He says, don't follow that example. He's saying, don't be like Israel. You know, there's something really simple here. It's so simple, in fact, that you can almost miss it. And yet, as I said before, it's one of the most liberating truths in all of the Bible. Let me say it again. You can rest while you work for God. You can rest while you exercise hard at the discipline of being a Christian. You can rest while you battle your own demons of anger and and lying and cheating or whatever it might be. You can rest while you exercise these spiritual disciplines, while you're volunteering around the church. It's so fantastic if we can get this. See, you can rest while you're busy in your serving, while you're busy trying to live the Christian life, the God-honoring life. It's It's a paradoxical kind of statement, isn't it? You can rest while you work. You can rest while you serve. It's so uh, enigmatic, it's so completely uh, illogical to be at rest while you work. But you can, and we're getting to it. Now, how many in the busiest times of their day can be at rest? I I don't think many can actually um, experience that. Um, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, was trying to work out what it meant to abide in Christ. It's one of those great scriptures that comes out of uh, John chapter 15, verse 5. And he was thinking about this verse. This is how it reads. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he's really thinking about this. What does it mean? And he's lying under a fruit tree as he pondered this verse. And he's looking up at the fruit and he's looking at the branches on the tree and he's thinking, what on earth is that branch doing to produce all that fruit? And then he gets a revelation. The branch was doing nothing, absolutely nothing. All the branch was doing to produce that good fruit was to to remain tapped into the root system of the tree to remain tapped into the life source of the tree. It wasn't doing anything else. It was just remaining connected to the life source. Hebrews 4 verse 9 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What then is a Sabbath rest? What on earth does it mean when it says, There remains then a Sabbath rest? Well, the writer of the Hebrews knows because he's referring to something that's recorded back in the Old Testament, back in the history of Israel. In Hebrews 4.10 and 11, it says, For anyone who enters God's rest, not man's rest, 
Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. Let's make every effort to enter God's rest, not man's rest. This is so important. There's a rest that is different from man's rest. The rest we defined earlier as being, you know, refreshment after exertion on a tropical island is man's kind of rest. And we know that that doesn't last. You know, we've been on holiday here for five weeks. As soon as we get back, uh, we have one day at home, then we get on a plane, fly 3,000 kilometres south, and uh, my wife's speaking at a conference, I'm speaking in a church. The rest is over. We're busy again. We'll be tired by next weekend. And we've just had five weeks holiday. It doesn't last. Man's rest doesn't last. There's a different kind of rest that's called God's rest. And we've got to make every effort to enter that kind of rest because that's the rest that lasts. You know, people who drop out of the game have never entered God's rest. And that's why uh, we've got casual church attendances, people living lives that really are no different to the lives of those who are far from God who don't even claim to be Christians. And if you get this, if we really understand this now, um, I tell you, it'll keep you in the game. See, you'll serve God with a fresh enthusiasm all the days of your life. So back to Hebrews 4 verse 10, it says, For everyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. Here's the question. When did God rest? On the seventh day. Let's look closely, and this will really help you if uh, you see this. Uh, Let's look closely at what God did and what God didn't. Now, when I saw this, It really changed my life. What was God doing before he rested? Well, he was creating things, wasn't he? I mean, he did a pretty spectacular job of it as well. He was creating the heavens and the earth. And if we go through those six days, we see that on the first day, he created day and night. The second day, uh, he created the sky. And the third day, land and vegetation, uh, The fourth day, sun, the moon, the stars. The fifth day, sea creatures, land creatures. Uh, On the sixth day, that was the best day of all because he created man. And some men would say women. Some men. And then comes day seven. And here it is in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, spectacular array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And again, I ask the question, what did God do and what did God not do when he rested? I mean, what do you think God did when he rested? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, how many times have we read this? God rested on the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day? How many think that God looked at what he had created and said, 
that took a lot more out of me than I thought. I need a good rest. I mean, how many think that? I mean, if you think that, well, then you've also got to think something like this. You've got to think that God looked down at that tropical lagoon. He said, that looks awful good. I need a rest. And he goes down. He lies out on that white sandy beach under the shade of the coconut trees. And he watches the sun set between his toes while the angels hand him an ice-cold Coca-Cola. Right? You've got to think that. If you think that's how God rested, you've got to think that. Well, how many of us know that God didn't rest like that? We just know he didn't. You know, it says in Isaiah 40 and 28 and 29, these are important verses for our understanding. It says, do you not know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired. And his understanding no one can fathom. Listen to this. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. See, that makes it clear God doesn't get tired. God never gets tired. He gives strength to those who are weary and he increases the power of the weak. See, God has got endless energy so much that he can give it away. And he does. He gives us endless energy and endless strength. So at the end of the six days of creation, God didn't collapse exhausted on his throne and pull up his heavenly footstool and rest because he was exhausted. God didn't rest like that. So if he didn't rest like that, the question again is, how did he rest? What is the Sabbath rest? What is God's rest? What is this rest that remains then for God's people to enter into? What's it like? Well, the Hebrew word for rest gives us a key. The Hebrew word for rest is uh, Shabbat. And in general, it means what we would expect it to mean. It means cessation from work. But if uh, you want to dig a bit deeper, and uh, you know everyone who, who studies the, the Hebrew does that, and you get down into it, you get into the imagery of the word, and you begin to understand that this Hebrew word Shabbat is connected with the Sabbath or the seventh day, just as we've seen from Scripture, and has within it, and this is the key, the very clear concept of celebration and enjoyment. Celebration and enjoyment. See, God rested by celebrating and enjoying his creation. That's how God rested. Some people say, well, I don't believe that. A lot of Christians think that all it means is God rested. He just stopped working. And he had this day of non-work on the Sabbath. A lot of Christians can't believe that God could rest by just celebrating and enjoying his creation. So they think that the Christian life is just a hard grind. It's meant to be just pushing hard against the pricks. It means constantly fighting all sorts of opposition, constantly laboring away at spiritual disciplines. They don't believe that Jesus meant what he said in John 
chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. They just don't believe that. Uh, you know, have it to the full. Life overflowing. That scripture actually means when Jesus said that, he, he said, you know, if you come to me, I'll give you so much life. I mean, it'll just flow out of you. It'll overflow out of you. You'll have so much life you can hardly handle it. You know, people who celebrate life are full of life. Have you ever noticed that? People who celebrate life are full of life. I've just spent pretty well five weeks in the car with Wanda Montgomery. She celebrates life. Oh, look at that flower. Oh, look at that cliff face. Isn't it beautiful? Oh, look at the sky. Did you see that cloud? Oh, it's beautiful. And all the time, click, 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 click. She wants to celebrate everything. And what do you know about Wanda? There's life flowing out of her. See, with celebration comes life. Are you getting that? And that's how God rested. He celebrated. You know, a lot of people just can't believe that. They think that, uh, you know, what Jesus was really saying is, I've come to work you hard so that you've got nothing to celebrate. A lot of Christians are just, well, they've got just enough religion in them to be miserable. It's true. Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. See, God's saying you can work, work all the other days, but rest on the seventh day. Now, don't start making something legalistic out of that because I'm going to rip that all down in a minute too. But God is saying you can work all the other days, but rest on the seventh. See, some Christians think that God means get very religious on Sunday don't have any fun on Sunday because, you know, it's God's day. They think that God doesn't want you to do anything on Sunday except go to church, sit very quietly in the pews, uh, scowl at anybody who speaks too loudly, somebody who flinches, you know, all very religious. And it's no wonder so many people have been turned off church. No wonder they choose the world's version of celebration. So back into Hebrews chapter 4 again and verse 9. You know, we should read it like this. There remains then a Sabbath celebration, a Sabbath enjoyment. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. This is where the application starts to come. In Genesis 2, uh, 1 and 2, we read that God didn't lie down and sleep the day away. He enjoyed what he had made. He celebrated what he had made. In fact, uh, God enjoyed what he did in technicolor detail. Again, if you get into the imagery of, of, of those verses, you know, when God celebrated, it talks about or, or, or it paints for us a picture of God actually becoming emotionally excited about the creation. We, we, we kind of see God as a white-bearded old man sitting on a throne somewhere with a very pious look on his face. God is full of emotion, you know that? God is full of emotion. And this scripture tells us that he got very emotionally excited about his creation. And that's how he rested. You know, he saw the light and he said, that's good. He saw the trees, he saw the animals, 
saw the birds. He said, that's good, and got excited about it. The Sabbath rest is not about a Sabbath day. You know, as soon as we use the word Sabbath, I think a lot of us, a lot of Christians think, well, that's talking about Sunday. It's a, it's a particular day. The Sabbath rest has nothing to do with Sunday. It has nothing to do with a Sabbath day. That's just religious thinking. New Testament Christians are never called to keep a Sabbath day. We look at Sunday and sometimes we call it a Sabbath day, but that's just being religious. The Bible never teaches where to maintain a Sabbath day. We're called to assemble ourselves together, that's for sure, and to worship together as we have today, no doubt about that. You know, Paul says that we should not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. And it just happens that we've chosen to follow the lead of the early church. The early church met on the first day of the week. Um, but the first day of the week was a trading day. It wasn't the Sabbath. It was a trading day. And so uh, they would get together and they would worship and pray together and uh, somebody would teach uh, the word to them either before they went to work or at lunchtime in their lunch break or after work. Uh, we're, we're not sure when. In fact, many scholars say it happened all through the day at different times. That was the first day of the week, what, which we now call the Lord's Day. It's not a Sabbath. Sunday is not a Sabbath. We're not called to keep this Sabbath day, but we're called to keep a Sabbath rest. And here is, is something that really pulls us all together. The Sabbath rest is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a 24-7 experience. A Sabbath rest is celebrating and enjoying uninterrupted community with Father God 24-7. It's celebrating God's goodness in our lives 24-7. Not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. <coughs> Why am I so convinced that the Sabbath rest is meant to be a 24-7 experience? Well, I I wonder if you've ever wondered what God was up to when he made it a law that they should have one day the Sabbath to worship him and enjoy him. You know, if you think about this, it starts to make sense. Adam and Eve enjoyed community with God 24-7. That's how it was meant to be from the beginning. It was meant to be a 24-7 experience. But they messed it up. And uh, they messed it up so bad that they lost fellowship with God. And in fact, when God came into the garden to have fellowship with him, they hid from him. God started a plan immediately to reconcile man with God, to restore this community with God. And he sends Abraham to gather a people called Israel on a journey back to celebration and enjoyment of him. And then he sends Isaac and Jacob and Moses until finally in the desert he gave them a law to live by and this is the law, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He makes it a law. It's not an option. He makes it a law. My question is, why did God do this? Well, God always has a good reason for making a law and it's got nothing to do with spoiling their fun. 
It's got nothing to do with spoiling the fun. That's just being religious. Look at this. It was his intention for Israel, this, this is the key to understanding this, it was his intention for Israel to celebrate and enjoy him so much on that one day a week, the Sabbath, that they would want to enjoy him and celebrate him every other day of the week as well. That was the purpose of God making it a law. God wanted it to become a habit, a good habit. The Sabbath in the Old Testament was an invitation to rejoice in God's creation and recognise God's sovereignty over our whole life. In Deuteronomy, we see the Sabbath being connected with Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. They celebrated on the Sabbath the fact that they had been delivered from Egypt. The, 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 the talk around the camp was, wasn't God good when he delivered us from Egypt? If God did that then, he can do it again. God is good. God is great. And so the celebration, the spirit of celebration was in the camp on the Sabbath. Resting on the Sabbath was about celebration and enjoyment of what God had done for them. But God wanted that to become a 24-7 habit. And that's what Hebrews 4-7 is all about. Because it says there, God again set a certain day, calling it today. God set again a certain day, calling it today. Today is Sunday. Tomorrow is Monday, but tomorrow will be today. And Tuesday will be today, and Wednesday will be today. You understand? God set again a certain day, calling it today. Today is every day of the week. It's 24-7. God means us to be celebrating him every single day of the week. And that's his purpose. He wants us with an eagerness of heart to celebrate and enjoy everything that he has done for us. I'm all for Sunday. I love Sunday worship. I love Sunday community. I love the testimonies of God's grace. I love the teaching of the word. But please, church, let's get it right. God wants us to celebrate 24-7. God wants us to celebrate and enjoy him seven days a week. You know, how do you celebrate and enjoy God? Well, you know, for us, uh, we get a great help because of the kind of church that uh, we live in. You know, this is something that is a distinctive of our kind of church. We come together, we worship, um, we encourage you to celebrate and enjoy God as the Bible tells us to. And so we sing a song or many songs and can I just say that, you know, the exhortation this morning to sing from your heart, that's exactly what God means us to do. Uh, he wants us to bring a clap offering, just like we would at the football if somebody scores the winning point. In fact, we do more than that. We jump up and down and we raise our hands, you beauty. We celebrate. And God wants us to celebrate like that. And thankfully, in our kind of church, we've got a liberty to be able to worship him like that. It's not weird stuff, raising your hands. That's just a demonstration of celebration to him. Shouting out in church, I love you, God. That's just a demonstration of worship to him. And God loves it. Just telling each other about the mighty things that God has done for us. 
You know, as I already said, we've been in a car together for a lot of time over these last five weeks and Scott and Wanda and Mandy and I have, on numerous occasions, we've just stopped and started to talk about the amazing things that God has done in our lives. And I've got to tell you that they have been the key moments of this trip for me and I think for all of us. Something happens in your spirit when you begin to celebrate the goodness and the greatness of God. There's a rising in your spirit, a rising that you can't really explain perfectly in words, but it's real and it changes your whole outlook on a day, on your life, on the circumstances that you find yourself in. This is experiencing the Sabbath rest. I honestly believe that when we enter the Sabbath rest, God himself comes down and is so pleased and so excited about what we're doing when we begin to recognize his goodness in our lives. And if we enter enthusiastically into this Sabbath rest, we're revitalized in spirit and able to go back and do the very things that were tiring us out making us weary, making us even consider dropping out of the game. You know, don't we leave our services uh, lifted in spirit? We're going to walk out of the door here this morning just that much better equipped to handle some of the challenges of life. But God means that to be 24-7. Why on earth do we save it up for Sundays? Why do we think it's got to be a Sunday experience? God means it to be a 24-7 experience. Hundreds of times while I was pastoring, and I mean not exaggerating at all, hundreds of times over the 35 years that I was pastoring, I came to the point where I thought I was done. I'm finished. I've got nothing left. I'd go into one of the other staff rooms, staff offices, and I'd sit down. And we'd just start to talk and somebody would just share something that God had done. And, you know, in that moment, in that moment, something would lift in my spirit. I'd find myself going back out into the very circumstances that were wearing me out with a new energy and a new sense of being able to serve. That's the power of a Sabbath rest. It's that capacity to celebrate God Have him visit with your spirit in that moment and lift you so that you can continue to do the things that seem so hard. I've got a friend by the name of Keith Farmer. Keith is 77 years of age. Uh, Keith is a mentor of mine. In fact, our church, my home church, employed him uh, to mentor me through our transition and uh, When that transition was over, it was going so well, we just continued to have a connection. Just recently, uh, Keith came and stayed in our home overnight and uh, he mended me, he checked up on me, made sure I was behaving myself, doing all the right things. And he told me something that really gave me an insight into why this man had so much energy, was still running the race, was still excited about God, after more than 50 years of continual Christian service. Every morning, he goes for a walk. But as he told me, he says, I go for a walk with God. And as I'm walking along the street, uh, 
I, I, I'll sing. Um, every now and again, I'll skip. 77-year-old man skipping, you know, just picture it. Um, he said, I'll raise my hands. He said, and I have such a wonderful time. I come back and I'm able to face that day and all the uh, challenges of that day with a fresh energy. He said, my only problem with it is I just wonder what people think of me. This 77-year-old man, he's obviously senile. He's obviously losing it. But you've got to know this man to understand he's really understood the secret of the Sabbath rest, the capacity to continue to be able to serve. I'm not against holidays. I'm all for them, as you can tell. Um, but they will never keep you refreshed in spirit, refreshed in your soul, like a Sabbath rest, like God's rest. As I finish, and I am finishing, let me tell you how it works. I'm not going to read this because of time, but Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 um, records why Israel didn't enter that Sabbath rest. See, Israel stopped celebrating and enjoying God for all he had done for them, and they looked to other gods. They took took on you know, the, God, the gods of stone, the, 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 the images of other nations. And so they never entered their rest. They never entered the promised land. And in the process, uh, this made their hearts hard towards the one true God. Here's the thing I'm trying to say to you. If you don't learn the secret of the Sabbath rest, if you don't practice this art of celebrating God 24-7, your heart will grow hard it will grow cold and you will drop out you will drop out the thing that keeps us fresh excited revitalized in our faith walk is this capacity to celebrate God 24-7 and to see his goodness to see his grace to see his hand in our lives and to be able to verbalise it and celebrate it in a very real kind of way. It's a disastrous thing that happens to us if we don't. It was disastrous for Israel. You know, uh, Hosea 8 verse 8 records it like this. It says, Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like a worthless thing. We become worthless Worthless to God when we stop celebrating him. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, it's important for this application. Um, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. (coughs) You see... If we're not celebrating God continually, we forget about the bigness of God and his capacity uh, to overcome for us in all kinds of circumstances. And we find ourselves uh, ceasing from believing in the power and the might of God to intervene in our affairs. And we become unbelieving and hard-hearted. So... I guess, uh, I guess my final word to you this morning is really learn 
and practice this incredible provision that God has made available to us. It's not hard. It's not hard to just celebrate what God has done. This is a church full of amazing potential. It really is. But I'll tell you this, you're never going to reach your potential unless you have really taken on board this capacity to celebrate God so that you're fresh in spirit, so you're strong in spirit, so the weariness doesn't overtake you. There's lots of churches around the Western world that have got amazing potential, but they're not going anywhere because people are just tired and downhearted, burned out. You know, the difference between somebody who's burned out and somebody who isn't is somebody who celebrates God and recognizes the good things that he's done in their lives. So I hope, New Testament church, that you can kind of get the heart of what I'm saying here this morning and that you can do something with it that will change the face of the church so that you can reach the potential that God has for you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will do a mighty work in the lives of all of us and that you will help us to understand what your will and your purpose for us is and not be overwhelmed by it because of this desire that we have to recognize you as great in everything. Lord, I pray that each one of us will be able to celebrate you with a new enthusiasm. And even this day, that uh, we'll find opportunity just to share with somebody some of the great things that you have done for us and allow that supernatural presence of your Holy Spirit, to enter us and to lift us up and to empower us afresh to do the things that you've called us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.